0: Thank you very much, and uh, I have also to say thank you very much uh, uh, that you invited me uh, for for this seminar. Of course, it's not the first time that I'm in London, but it's the first time that I give a presentation um, in in London, so thank you very much. Uh, Because I'm not a native speaker in English, uh, I prefer to to read my paper. Uh, I have to say sorry for that. Um, Yeah, uh, you see the topic. My uh, paper is divided in um, eight uh, parts. The first part is uh, about the new policy interest in opening up higher education in Germany. Um, Activities, uh, programs or measures to open up German higher education for new target groups are anything but a new topic. However, lifelong learning was a very peripheral theme in German higher education policy and development for many decades for several reasons. One reason is a widespread perception that German higher education had suffered from a massive student overload and high demand-driven pressure. The second reason is that lifelong learning was considered in Germany primarily as a responsibility of our continuing education system and not of higher education institutions. The third reason is that the missions and functions of higher education were ranked in a clear hierarchy with research on the top and lifelong learning is something like a grubby kit of higher education. And the last reason is the construction of a sharp antagonism between academic excellence and opening up universities for lifelong learners. This situation changed about the time of the term of the millennium. Even though the concept of lifelong learning is still far away from being the center of the university, it does seem to be approaching step by step from the periphery to the heart of the university. There are several driving forces behind this new interest in the widening of of participation in higher education including firstly the concern of a demographically caused decline in the social demand for higher education particularly in economically and demographically shrinking regions in germany especially in east germany stimulating the search for compensation and lifelong learning is seen as something like a strategy of compensation secondly the perception of a growing gap in the supply of a highly qualified workforce on the labor market provoked partly by the high replacement need as a result of the generation change, partly by the increasing need as a consequence of the ongoing transformation of employment into knowledge-based work. Thirdly, the introduction of the idea of implementing lifelong learning structures in higher education as an element of the Bologna process and the idea of more permeability between vocational and higher education as a central aspiration of European education policy, for example, the so-called Copenhagen process. Fourthly, strategies of institutional profiling and functional diversification in higher education systems that have stimulated some univers- only some universities to develop a lifelong learning profile And finally, the new interest in a more heterogeneous composition of the student body in the context of the diversity discourse in higher education policy. What are lifelong learners uh, in higher education and referring to the same typology, Maria uh, just uh, presented in her um, her presentation. I would like to explain a little bit uh, what are lifelong learners German higher education. As you know, this typology embraces seven different types um, of lifelong learners. The first type is uh, the so-called second chance learners, those without traditional formal credentials who enter higher education via a special entrance examination or assessment. In Germany, there are two subgroups of such second chance learners. Firstly, those students who at first leave school without the general uh, entitlement for for higher education without the abitur, but complete vocational training and afterwards attend one of the grammar schools for adults leading to the abitur, the so-called second educational route, for example, uh, evening grammar schools. This group is not really small in Germany, about 4% of all new entrants in higher education. The second group of second chance learners are those students, also with a vocational biography but without abitur who are admitted by one of the alternative special admission procedures at university level. We call it the third educational um, route. As you can see um, on this slide, uh, access to higher education uh, in in Germany is based on on, uh, three Uh, so-called educational routes. The the first educational route is the regular one by by grammar school uh, and uh, by the so-called abitur and uh, the the second educational route is uh, for people with uh, vocational qualification and experience but uh, in the second step um, attending a, a, a night or evening grammar school leading to the abitur and the third educational route is a route without abitur by uh, several several entrance uh, examinations at uh, at the level um, of access um, to higher education. The second group uh, is called equity groups, those who are from socio-economic or other underrepresented groups. There are two main groups in Germany who are underrepresented in their participation in higher education. Firstly students with a working class or a non-academic family background, we call it now the first generation students, and secondly, those with a migration background. But in Germany, the equity issue is primarily discussed as a lack in the regular route to higher education, so by grammar school, and rarely as a challenge for opening up higher education for lifelong learners. The third group, the deferrers those who defer entry to higher education because they decided at the stage of leaving school to enter employment. deferrers are also relatively frequent among uh, students in Germany. Their share uh, uh, related to all first year students is about six to eight percent. Then the recurrent learners. This group includes such adults who have a first degree and who returned to higher education for a second degree. Traditionally, until the Bologna reform, this group was very small in German higher education because there was no reason to return to university for a second degree in the past because there was no second degree. After (laughs) After introducing a sequential structure of studies with consecutive degrees, Bologna and master as a part of the Bologna reform, it's expected that the number of recurrent learners will increase very much. The returners, those who take advantage of the flexibility in higher education structures in, for some countries, to drop in after having dropping out at an earlier stage. We do not know much about this group in Germany, but because of the large number of dropouts, it's estimated about, uh, that this group is uh, about 30% uh, of all first year. Students, it may be that returners are not really rare in German higher education. The refreshers, those who, as professionals, enroll in continuing education programs at university level to refresh their knowledge and skills. Refreshers are the core target group of continuing higher education provisions. I will come back to this point later on. And lastly, le- le- learners in later life. Reflecting the Maria talked about this, the demographic trends in many countries. Um, third age learners or learners in later life are people who enroll in mainly non-credit higher education programs for per, mainly for personal development uh, um, uh, purposes. In my following following explanation. I would like to concentrate on the two most important groups of lifelong learners in German higher education, the group of non-traditional students as a subpopulation of second chance learners, and the group of participants in continuing education studies, the returners and refreshers. The reason to focus on these two groups, including particularly non-traditional students, is that often lifelong learning, not only in Germany, has been identified only with continuing education excluding initial higher education it is my view and i think we agree in this point maria it's my view of lifelong learning that the focus should be extended to a wider understanding of lifelong learning as a life course oriented concept and that our mission the mission of higher education should be to develop an integrated strategy to implement lifelong learning structures in higher education including also initial higher education so some words about um, non-traditional students in german higher education as i said before in the past opening up higher education for degree holders from vocational training without the traditional study entitlement abitur was only a marginal topic on the higher education policy agenda in Germany. This constellation has changed. During the last five to ten years, there has been a new policy concern with regard to the establishment of regulations to open up higher education for highly qualified persons, but without a school certificate that entitles to take up academic studies. However, it has been continuously difficult to precisely define what is meant by the concept of non-traditional students, and particularly in an international comparative perspective. There are differences from country to country and often also within the countries in what is defined as non-traditional. The political and academic attention on non-traditional students in German higher education focuses on those without abitur but with a vocational biography who are admitted by one of the alternative non-school routes to university what uh, in the the, uh, slides uh, before what is often called as the third educational uh, route uh, to to higher education. The issue of non-traditional students is linked very closely to the topic of permeability between vocational training and higher education. During the last few years, a political consensus has been reached between the political actors and stakeholders to widen access for these target groups. And uh, this is important because, historically, there is a sharp um, segmentation between um, the the regular route to higher education by by, by grammar school and abitur, and uh, the, uh, in in Germany, very well-established system of vocational uh, training with its own uh, provisions for for continuing education, but traditionally not leading to higher education. In March 2009, the conference of the State Ministers of Education, the most important uh, committee in German higher education policy, agreed an arrangement to increase the permeability of access to higher education for non-traditional students. According to this decision, access has been widened for applicants with a vocational background in particular for applicants with a further education qualification at the level of uh, master, master means uh, uh, and, 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 uh, craft work and, and industrial master and so on according to the available data um, the importance of non-traditional access routes has been very modest so far however a small but significant increase can be observed as you can see uh, on this slide about 90 percent of all new entrants to the university sector had the general entrance entitlement the abitur that's the blue part on the left side of the slide Uh, the college sector the share is a little bit uh, smaller but uh, also in this sector more than half of uh, first-year students uh, come uh, to Fachhochschulen uh, by, by the abitur only three percent of first-year students are non-traditionals at least um, the proportion of non-traditional students has more than tripled uh, since um, uh, 2000 but as you can see Uh, the decision of the Kultusminister conference was in 2009, Uh, the uh, increase uh, in the uh, proportion of non-traditional students uh, started uh, before, uh, already before the Kultusminister conference made this decision. It can be stated uh, that the structure of access in German higher education is very abitur-centered so far and non-traditional access routes have played only a very marginal role up to now despite some measures to open up access and admission over the last year it's fair to emphasize that studies are not very conducive to the specific needs of students with a non-traditional biography the main reasons for this are the Continuous resistance or disapproval by many universities, with a typical argument of uh, individual deficits uh, in the study uh, proficiencies of uh, non traditional students, and the lack of flexibility in the organization of studies and the delivery modes, for example, a lack in in the provision of distance studies or part time studies in Germany, and also a persisting lack of flexible admission procedures, primarily procedures of recognition of prior learning it's my view that the lack of flexibility in the organization of studies is the main obstacle to the participation of non-traditional students in Germany my next part is about uh, continuing higher education in Germany lifelong learners who want to refresh their knowledge or skills at university are the primary target group for continuing higher education provisions. Most of them have already earned, not all, but most of them have already earned a first degree. Such provisions can be institutionalized at different levels, as a degree program leading to a regular degree, as a non-degree program, sometimes with its own certificates, or as a public provision with a rather general orientation, we call it PUSH, public understanding of sciences and humanities, often primarily dedicated to a non-academic public or in cooperation with companies, for example, as so-called in-house courses in companies. The current state of continuing education provisions in German higher education can be described as a bit like two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, almost all higher education institutions have become active on the market for continuing education. They have established institutional responsibilities within the university and extended their provisions even if there are wide differences in their involvement. It's remarkable that something like a paradigm shift has taken place in the mission of continuing higher education. Originally, in the 60s and also in the 70s of the last century, the concept of university continuing education was driven by the idea of purposeless academic education for a non-academic public with the intention of enlightenment through theoretical knowledge. In the last 10 to 15 years, a new understanding has prevailed. Continuing education as a market and resources-oriented strategy of educational management dedicated to a different target group who pays for who pay for uh, uh, for continuum education provisions at university level so as a for-profit activity for universities but on the other hand all in all such programs still play only a minor role in germany among other reasons because of an extensive provision of continuing learning opportunities outside the academy. Germany has not only a well-established system of vocational training, but also a well-established system of continuing education outside the university. Therefore, there is a high degree of competition between different uh, providers, and that is the reason for the fact that the share of higher education institutions in total continuing education provisions is very modest, about three to five percent of all participation cases in continuing education are registered in higher education institution, or with a different referent. This, uh, 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 this is this uh, uh, slide, or with a different reference group, about ten to 15% of all graduates participate in continuing higher education provisions, but with large differences between institutions. In future, the demand for continuing studies at university level will increase massively for two reasons. Firstly, the number of graduates will grow steadily as a result of the growing massification of higher education, also not only in Germany. And secondly, graduates are the most active group in continuing education, the group with the highest participation rates. The question is to what extent the university will participate in this growth, growth in the demand for continuing education. Uh, In several empirical studies, we have attempted to identify the strengths and weaknesses of higher education institutions on the market for continuing education. According to these studies, the benefits of universities compared with other providers are primarily the reference to current research, the right to award degrees, the intellectual independency and neutrality of interest of the university, and a special case in, in Germany, low fees. As a rule of thumb, it can be stated, the more direct the demand for continuing education refers to research and academic issues, the stronger the role of the university on the market for continuing education. The more practice-oriented it is, the stronger the role of non-university providers. My next part is uh, a comparative European perspective. In this uh, part I will concentrate only on a few selected particular characteristics for which there are some data from European surveys. The most important is the Eurostudent project Elizabeth also mentioned this morning. As a part of the Bologna process, a European-wide monitoring system has been implemented to provide some empirical information about the state of realization of the idea of the social dimension of the European higher education area, and this is the so-called Eurostudent project. In the last sequence, in 2011, 23 countries participated participated in the Eurostudent project, which means that this study is one of the broadest internationally comparative studies in higher education. These data are a byproduct of national service on national administrative, administrative data based on several conventions about the standards of data provision. But of course, there is always uh, a critical debate about the validity of uh, these data. Participating in the Eurostudent project is dependent on the adoption of the Eurostudent core questions and central data conventions, including procedures for cross-checking to assure quality of the data. First, and uh, beginning with uh, this slide, um, some comments about uh, non-traditional routes in, in a European perspective. The path that prospective students took to obtain their higher education entrance qualification differed to varying degrees between countries. Two general models can be distinguished. In some countries, selection is concentrated at the level of admission at the most important instance, United States. In other countries, admission is linked with formal school credentials and certificates, so that selection occurs primarily during the school career, for example, Austria, Germany, Switzerland. Furthermore, there are differences with respect to the permeability of access and admission for applicants, with a vocational qualification instead of a general school entitlement. Additional access opportunities are now being offered in many in most European countries. As a strategy to widen participation, to provide second chance opportunities, and to enhance permeability between vocational training and higher education, such alternative routes to higher education have received more attention. Which path to higher education is defined as non-traditional depends, however, on the national higher education or school education system, and differs from one country to another, as I said before. Referring to varying definitions, the share of non-traditional students related to all students can differ considerably between countries. That is exactly the reason while the Eurostudent study develop a schematic framework for the different forms and procedures subsumed under the label alternative um, routes. And this uh, framework scheme you can see um, on my next uh, slide. This framework embraces th- three different procedures. Um, the first is called post-secondary non-tertiary education. That means obtaining the study entitlement via courses outside the regular secondary school system, for example, in adult education institution, which, uh, for example, uh, is widespread in, in Scandinavian countries. The second is called vocational training, work experience, and accreditation of prior learning. This approach embraces procedures of recognizing the equivalence between vocational qualification and regular secondary school certificates. And the last procedure is called special aptitude or entrance examinations. In some countries such entrance exams exams are obligatory for applicants without traditional credentials, sometimes in certain fields, sometimes for all applicants. Based on this framework it can be stated that in eight of the countries included in the Eurostudent study, study, special alternative, non-traditional entry routes do not exist at all, on the left side. In 19 of 23 countries, uh, more than 80% of all students have entered higher education with a regular school entitlement. The exceptions uh, are Finland, Ireland, England, and Sweden. In these countries, between 70 and 80 percent arrive via uh, the rec- only 70 to 80 percent arrive via the regular route, and the others via alternative routes in different forms. It seems to me that there is a uh, contradiction with uh, what Ma- Maria said, right. but but uh, not necessarily. Sorry, only they could be younger students coming yeah. through non-access. But this data uh, are based on uh, official uh, uh, Irish uh, data uh, statistics, and uh, uh, but uh, perhaps uh, it may be an interesting point uh, to for for, for, for uh, experts in statistics to clear this point. Maybe that uh, the the definition what is a higher education institution differs. Uh, um, between uh, several statistics, so, for example, the, the institutes of technology. Uh, are they included or are, are they not included? In Germany, the share of non-traditional students in a wide understanding, including also the second educational rule, so by, by, by uh, uh, night Grammar Schools, uh, together with uh, non-traditional students in a, in a strict sense, without abitur, amounts to f- 4% most of them on the second educational route. In almost all countries which provide alternative routes for vocationally qualified persons, especially students with a low social or educational family background benefit from these. Some comments about part-time students. The flexibilization of programs or courses is often seen as an instrument for opening up higher education to new target groups. Often the most important obstacles for the participation of older or non-traditional students are not primarily located at the level of access, but at the level of study formats, not allowing any adaptation to the special needs of older students. Together with institutional obstacles, time and place have often been identified as the most important restrictions. For example, according to a uh, uh, older uh, study of uh, Patricia Cross, maybe 40, you may know it exactly, uh, I think 40, 40 years ago. Uh, so besides the provision of distance or online-based learning, the time budget has proved again and again to be a prerequisite for widening participation in the implementation of lifelong learning structures in higher education. Studying part-time can be defined in two different ways, formally and informally. Formal means to be enrolled in organized part-time courses or programs. Informal refers to the actual time budget and means studying de facto in a part-time mode, and that's a difference. A study is considered to be part-time if he or she is enrolled in a program or in a course that requires less than 75% of the full-time load. This definition focuses on the program, not on informal study patterns. According to some UNESCO data, the share of part-time students, as well as the development over the um, decades, fluctuates between countries and also over time. There is neither a common pattern nor a clear trend. In some countries this ratio is more than 30 percent, for example in the Scandinavian countries, in the United States and United Kingdom. In other countries the ratio of part-time students is very low, for example Austria, Germany, Denmark, Netherlands or Spain. In these countries the traditional model of full-time studies still seems to be predominant. In several countries the proportion of part-time students has risen, whereas in others, a reverse trend can be observed. So there is no clear trend. Yeah, some conclusions, and this is my last slide, and I think I'm very much in time. Then. Very Therefore, all in all, Germany may be an example for a delayed nation concerning the implementation of lifelong learning structures in higher education. However, for the last 10 years there has been a new dynamic in this field stimulated by different forces, uh, as I talked about at the beginning of my presentation, demographic factors, uh, the development of the labor market, uh, uh, fear uh, uh, not to have uh, enough uh, uh, qualified labor force, and other factors. However, the European comparison shows that there is no common transnational pattern, but many differences between countries. As far as we have time series, there is also no clear trend over time. In Germany, one of the most resistant arguments is the myth of a contrast between opening the university and uh, academic excellence. And uh, as you know, uh, Germany has established uh, some so-called excellent um, universities uh, during the last years, and uh, so there is a high degree of uh, um, uh, of competition uh, of uh, all universities uh, with respect uh, to the reputation or to the image uh, to be an excellent university, and often opening up higher education Uh, uh, or open up uh, institutions for non-traditional students is seen um, as a danger uh, for uh, the aspiration to become an excellent university. However, opening universities for lifelong learning does not mean opening for everyone or the renunciation of requirements and standards. Instead of this, the concept of opening up universities for lifelong learning addresses highly qualified groups with or without a first degree. This excludes any kind of anything goes in university lifelong learning. Yeah, thank you very much for your attention.